Masters podcast, presented by Scale Up Milwaukee. Meet the Masters is an interview series that highlights entrepreneurs, business owners, and CEOs and their successful expansions and stories of growth. This series is presented by Scale Up Milwaukee, an initiative of the Greater Milwaukee Committee whose focus is on transforming the culture of growth in the region. Scale Up does this by hosting impactful events and business accelerators designed to infuse growth into every corner and help spread inclusive economic prosperity. You can find out more about Scale Up at scaleupmilwaukee.org. This episode features an interview with Sue Marks, founder and CEO of CLO, a fast-growing, customer-focused, market-leading recruitment process outsourcing firm that has partnered with many of the world's leading brands. This interview originally took place on March 31st, 2016. Thank you, Ann, and thank you uh, all for coming on this jizzly day to uh, spend 45 minutes with us exploring how companies can grow more, using, of course, the experience of uh, Sue Marks. Uh, but I want to start this in a slightly unusual way. This is not going to be about speech. This is going to be about having a discussion. Um, and so I want to start this by having each of you together think and jot down on the back of that in, uh, evaluation form um, whether if you have kids, what's the one word of advice for success in the future you'd give them? And if you don't imagine what that would be. So I'm going to show you a video of Sue, 40 second video of Sue to get us started. So what's that one word of advice? that you give to your kids or would give to your kids? I don't wait, wait, don't turn it on. Videos. I like making my own. So let me just get a couple of examples. And I'll call, call, yes. Be authentic. Authenticity. Aspire. Aspiration. Persistence. Persistence. Perseverance. Perseverance. Respect. Perseverance. Respect. Respect. Anything that we missed completely, oh, Jamie? Okay. Listen. Listen. Discipline. Sorry? Discipline. Discipline. Something Passion. we missed entirely. Passion. Passion. Awareness. Awareness. Think. 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 Okay, so let's uh, show, and Sue, I'd like you to, you've probably seen this, but I'd like you to see it again, if you haven't. You can see I follow the Steve Jobs way of dressing. Branding. <laughs> oh my God. I knew that I was smart. I'm unabashed with all I can push out the work of two or three people, and I love what I do. I've told my daughters, life isn't fair, you're going to have to be better and smarter and work harder and get over it. Don't complain about it. <laughs> That's it. So, so looking back on this, uh, what is your reaction to it? And then what is your reaction to the similarity or differences between this sort of worldview and what you hear people saying? I well, I loved all the words everybody used, and, and Anne, when you said Scale Up Milwaukee is about helping us to be obsessed with growth, that's a, that's a tall order, <laughs> um, especially in, in Wisconsin, right? That's a, that's a tall order. I, if, you, uh, I, if you ask me the question, what do I tell my kids today, I would say life isn't fair, 
get over it, especially my daughters. So that, that's, life, so yeah, that's so an, same that's, thing. It's, an, it's, it's not the statement that you necessarily expect to hear first in, in, 2000 in the 2000s. Where did it come from? And you said you were treated unfairly. This is public. Did I say I was treated unfairly? Not unfairly, you were. You used a different word. We missed it at the beginning, but. Yeah. Um. You were dismissed, I think, is the word. No, you no, underestimated. Underestimated. Yeah, I, I found it. I, my, my father was in the, in the employment business, and I found it ultimately to be an incredible advantage to be underestimated as, uh, as a woman in business. And to be underestimated, particularly in this community, when that was the only, when, when the southeastern Wisconsin area was the only community that we served, to be underestimated by some of the big competitors because I was just Dick's daughter. Uh, so underestimated is the word that, so that I used. So because you were the, you were in the coattails or in the shadows of I, somebody who was I successful. I don't know. So the, the world is, and, and that was an advantage somehow. Absolutely, because it's like guerrilla marketing. They don't. You just don't get taken seriously as a competitor until oh shit, right? And and, and <laughs> Elmer, didn't you tell me I needed to use a few four-letter words? So I know this is going to end up on YouTube, but I'm just following instructions, which some of you know I don't actually do that well. <laughs> so so that's so you can sort of sneak up from behind is what you're exactly. saying. Exactly. So so let's sort of fast forward today. You're. Uh, and, and, and that's actually not a bad strategy, and in fact is a necessary strategy for many startup businesses, depending on the industry that they're in, is to stay under the radar long enough until you can have that overnight success, right? So, so fast forward, you're now, uh, about, according to the web, 1,200 people. Uh, you're in almost 70 countries. Yep. You have steady clients of 100. You're not under the radar anymore. So how does that, <laughs> at least, and I assume you don't want to be under the radar anymore. Oh, I, it, those were the good old days when we were under the radar. So, so how do you, where do you go from, from, from being the stealth gorilla, you know, nip at your heels, spunky startup with big aspirations to actually being there and being one of them? Um, so, so first we still have big aspirations. And one of them is to stay small as we get big. And we are in one of the most difficult transitions that an organization can make. And, and, I've, and I've called other CEOs that have gone through this transition um, in hopes that I can find out the mistakes they made um, and, and the strategies that they used so that I can learn from those mistakes and, and make fewer um, and, and get through this faster. But from, in our industry at least, from 150 to 250, million, we're, we're going from being a, a big, small company to a smaller, big company. And that necessitates a little more structure and some more systems, and, and things are just different. And sometimes we actually have to go slow to go fast. Now, slow at Cielo is still pretty darn fast, but it's not like you can just get in the room with five people and like we used to do, the six of us, and make a decision and, and execute on it. Because for a global client, that execution has to go across maybe 100 employees and 60 locations around, around the world. But how do we stay small as we get big? And how do we maintain an entrepreneurial approach? So our culture is our most important competitive advantage. And I always say that, that our culture is the software that runs our business. 
and our, our organization structure and some of the real software like our recruitment tools and our, uh, our accounting and IT infrastructure, that's kind of the hardware. But our culture that runs through is, is the software. So maintaining our culture um, is, is probably the most important thing that we need to do as we stay small as we get, what, what as we get the, bigger. What were some of the key inflection points in learning? Because you've been through a huge uh, merger, act, merger of, of different entities and shareholder changes and so on. What are some of the key inflection points in really building that platform? And I'm sure there'll be more in the future, but so far. Well, maybe just to, to we started as a, as a business in, in the United States. And we became a business in North America because we did business with clients in Canada. And, and actually, we've placed doctors as far away as Antarctica. Yes, believe it, for, <laughs> for the, the scientific, the government facilities down there. Um, so, so although we were a U.S. business that grew to about 50-some million dollars in the U.S. in 2000, uh, 2012-2013, as we were winning global clients, we knew that we needed to have a global footprint to continue to serve those, those customers. So, so that's when we came together with our partner who was based in, in Europe and almost doubled the size of the firm at that, at that point that's in 2013. Ochre. That was Ochre House, mm -hmm. yes. So, so what a mashup of names, right? Pinstripe and Ochre House. Ochre like the color. <laughs> um, not, and, ogre, and so, not Ogre like the Ogre, right? Yeah. But I think the, the biggest thing that we learned from that is, as, is, is we were very optimistic about how easy things were going to be to integrate these, these entrepreneurial founder-led companies because we were so alike and our cultures were so alike. And even our values, we put together a nice mashup of our, our values. Um, for example, uh, theirs was high performing and ours was driven to get results. So we just put that together as high performing and driven to get results and then the verbiage beneath it, which is equally as important as that, as that headline. So I'm going to have, but when you say we just put it together, oh yeah, I mean, well, why well, just we, put it together? Well, we, we, we thought it was going to be easy because we were so alike and we were 85% alike, but the 15% that we were different took on an outside, an outsized, um, I think, I think um, proportion. And we should have spent more time focusing on how we were different and how we were going to come together rather than, than assuming we were so much alike. So I think that if you talk to anybody in the firm, you would say that we've, we've done a really good job, um, but it had its really rocky moments, but that having come through some of those rocky moments, um, has been has been very good because it's actually brought us closer together. But can I add because I mean uh, I think growing through acquisition or mergers mm -hmm. is one strategy and it's the one one of the strategies you've mm -hmm. chosen. I think can we just dive into that just a little bit more. When, did you have conversations? Did you have workshops? Did you bring in consultants? Sort of what's the nitty gritty of how? And then how do you even discover that the fifteen percent were really important to deal with? Did, what did you do? Well, we worked together as, as partners servicing global accounts for about five years before we engaged in the conversations about coming together. So we really did know each other quite well. 
and had been through even the bumps that you have when you're on onboarding a new client and when what that client wants in the United States is different than what they want in Spain or the UK or, or in Germany. So, so a lot of the, there was, there was a lot of work that had just been done because we were working together. But when it came to actually putting together payroll systems, accounting systems, financial statements, weekly and monthly management reporting, we had to agree on one common framework first and then allow some freedom within that framework. And we still talk about freedom within a framework today, whether it's around global sales, global account management, global governance of accounts, or our own internal systems. We talk about creating the framework and allowing a certain amount of freedom within that framework, if that makes sense. And by the way, please, uh, questions or comments as we go along, uh, they're, they're encouraged. Oh, I see a hand already, great. Could you identify yourself? With What, what's a normal rhythm for, for an organization and its leaders over a five-year time period, and you just get used to the same kind of reporting, and then we have to change the reporting? It's like when you moved from a BlackBerry to your Samsung or your iPhone. How, you know, it's just, it's just different, and those changes are difficult. No matter how change adept we think we are, uh, those changes are difficult because you have to you have to work to understand new reports and things like that. So I think it was, I think it was completely normal. Um, I think we just felt like we wouldn't have any of those struggles. And in the end, we, we did have them and we were naive, a little bit naive about that. Yes, and those of you that are standing, feel free to go and take a seat. The seat's right over here. And then I saw... I would have focused on the 15% of things that, that we did really differently and gained consensus around that instead of assuming that the 85% were going to make the 15% yeah. so easy. Yeah. Yes, yeah. sir. Hey, Rick. That's a good question. And I think at the scale that we are, at the scale that we are now, it's important that we build into the new leadership and management and CLO curriculum that we're deploying across, across the globe over the course of this year, that that's an important component of that, both for our internal employees and we also find the same thing within our client organizations. Because when, they're, when, when we're working with them through a transformation, we see in, in real life all of the struggles that, that change can, the excitement and the challenges that change brings. And, and part, of, part of our most important 2016 initiatives are to 
double down on all of our training, particularly around leadership and management and those kinds of organizational imperatives. When we hire people, we hire people into a very specific set of competencies and, and culture. And we're very, um, I think we're very open about the pace of our business and, and the amount of change that, that a business that's growing at 25% on the top line every year, year after year, goes through. We are a different company every 12 to 18 months. And we know that that sounds really cool, <laughs> but it's actually really difficult because there's, there's a degree of ambiguity and there's a degree of needing to always change the tires on the car while it's actually moving. And some people get a real charge about that, and other people really enjoy learning how to do that and operating in that constantly challenging environment. And, and other people will find that that's not for them, and hopefully they find that out in the interview process. Yes, sir. Well, um, the uh, the Ochre House uh, the Ochre House business had acquired a middle a business in the Middle East about 12 or 18 months prior to us all coming together. So we really did have three entrepreneurial founder-led businesses that we were putting together, and the ultimately the global executive team included members from the senior leadership team of all of the of all of the entities and we used external consultants to put together a new strategic plan and to work through the integration with us what was the role of the change of ownership or the new investors that it went from local to national global pretty quick in a pretty short period of time could you tell us a little bit about that um, as um, as pinstripe in north america we had grown the business very nicely, even through the recession of 2008, 2009, 2010, that, that dip. And we, had, uh, we were, we were uh, venture capital funded by Robert W. Baird and, and CID, and they were fantastic advocates and great board members and, and great financial partners for us. And we as a leadership team in, in Pinstripe, which was just in North America, needed to make a decision about, about whether you know, this, this was kind of it for the business or whether we, were, we had aspirations to do more. And as a leadership team, we looked, at our, we looked at ourselves around the table and said, no, we're not done yet. This is, we're having fun. There's lots of great work we're doing for clients, and, and let's keep going. But perhaps we need a different financial partner at this point. So that led to the, the process of us looking for a different private equity partner, and we recapitalized, which is, which is no different than maybe refinancing your mortgage on a, on a personal level, and privately held and publicly held companies go through a variety of financial kinds of transactions in, in, in any given five-year period, so it's no different with us as a, as a private equity-backed, privately held company. Um, we ultimately chose Excel KKR, uh, and they are based in California, um, because we felt that they were the best cultural match for us. And most importantly, we asked ourselves the question, 
could we get in a car with these guys and travel from Milwaukee to Menlo Park and not kill each other? And not, not just kill each other, but actually have a lot of fun together and learn together, because that's really what the journey was going to be like over the next three years or 10 years or 15 years. Because as private equity firms, they, you know, they have a, a long cycle. And, uh, and in, their, in their private equity portfolio, they the longest they've held the company is 13 years. So the, the, the venture capital community and the private equity community is always going to pressure you to get an exit. Um, that wasn't our experience with Robert W. Baird, and that, that is not our experience with Excel KKR. So I think we've, we've done as good of a job in selecting our financial partners who have been fantastic um, board members and mentors and counselors for me and our leadership team. We've done a, 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 as good of a job as can be done and as good of a job as we do in selecting, selecting our employees and our, our executives. So I hope that answers the question. Well, so Enrique Rivas, um, no, we're with, um, I consider, well, in a way, yes. We don't have a formal relationship, but I consider myself part of the Baird family. We're, 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 our private equity financial partner today is Excel KKR, and they're based in Menlo Park. They have offices in Atlanta and in London. So a percentage of your decisions mm -hmm. that you made what percentage No, what no. I mean, we have we have quarterly board meetings, and a um, uh, and and as those of you in the in the audience that are entrepreneurs, um, you know, you, when you when you have a board, you want them to let you run the business. You don't want them running the business. But of course, they help you with the the, the larger strategic issues, uh, the strategic plan, executive hiring. Those are the kinds of things that they should be involved in. You mean how, when they'll exit? Is that the yeah. question? Oh, no. No. As long as we're all having fun doing great work for customers and we've got a continued runway for growth in the business, we're, we're happy. So even after you've paid for their, their Mm-hmm. Well, they're part, they're, owners, they're part, part owners, owners of the yeah. company. So as long as they're part owners in the company, they're they're engaged. Yes, sir. Uh, your wisdom for a young company in terms of when you know Well, the 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 best thing you can do is generate profits, because that that doesn't cost you anything, right? To to grow and then reinvest those those profits in the business. Um, in addition to putting in, you know, your, you know, your own money, debt, debt is less expensive. Um, equity capital is the most expensive form of financing. And, and you all know the basics around, what, uh, around financial structures and, and the pluses and, and minuses. Um, I think probably that many entrepreneurs would tell you that um, raise more than you need <laughs> um, and, and talk to funding sources before you need them so that they get to know your business. And that remains part of my job today is to make sure that we're, we're active in, in, the, in the community, uh, in the financial community. 
Um, and, and I think from, from a debt perspective, um, it's important to, with your leadership team and your board, if you have one, and your financial sponsors, if you have one, that you have a, uh, a discussion around capital structure and how much debt the company is willing to take on. And some private equity or venture capital firms are very big on financial engineering and, and using a lot of leverage. And when that works, it can work really well. It carries a higher risk with it. Um, I'm, I'm a proponent of modest, uh, modest and carefully considered use of debt. Um, so, so I would say that, that in our capital structure, um, we've got, we've, I wouldn't call it conservative, um, but probably not far above a conservative capital structure. Did that answer your question? Yes. Hi, Megan. Megan, last name? Parker. Okay. So the question was around how do we how do we keep our culture strong um, at at CLO? And one of the things I failed to mention is that we were pinstripe, we acquired Ochre House. And when we just mashed those names together for a year while we determined what we were going to do in terms of our name, which was always everybody's first question, um, um, it, it was easier to be Pinstripe and Ochre House. And once we rebranded in May of 2014, um, it became much harder. It was, it was as if everyone crossed a line into the new world to say, we are Cielo, and we are one. We are one global company, and we have one global employee experience, one global customer experience, one culture. Right. So it so it became so much harder to be two, and so much easier to be one. So that was a real watershed, I think, experience for the company. And um, and Kristen Wright, our chief marketing officer, and and Bethany Perkins is here today. She's part of our uh, marketing Bethany. leadership team. Um, uh, we branded from the inside out. So our employees were the first people to learn what we were going to do. They were part of the research that we, that we did. Um, and they knew before anybody else whether we were going to change the name or not, and when we decided to change the name, what that name was. So that's how important our, our culture was to us and to bring them along. So, so today, if you ask me what kind of people we hire, I say things like, happy, friendly, smart people that walk fast. And everybody always chuckles about that, and it sounds kind of silly, but what I mean by happy is, is optimistic. And if there's a problem, looking for a solution to that problem. Friendly means ability to deal with a variety of different people at all levels, in our organization and in our client organizations. Um, smart means clients hire us because they have problems. <laughs> And, and they place a really high standard on, on us delivering for them. So I'm not saying you need to be a rocket science to, to work at our firm, but um, we have a lot of smart people at, at our company solving problems on, on behalf of our clients. 
And, and walk fast is, is about our forward lean, our growth orientation, and the speed at which we have to continue to be able to do business, both as our business and on behalf of, of, our, of our customers. Can I ask you, why mm -hmm. did you use the word walk and not run? Well, because people don't usually run in an office. But, okay. but go back to your own offices and look at people that walk fast and with a determined pace. And, you know, well, so. I want to come back, if you will, to the video for a minute. Get, mm -hmm. get personal again. Um, the, the, one of the uh, messages that comes across, and this is my interpretation, mm -hmm. um, is your advice is you kind of rely on yourself. You, you really have to build yourself and your own success. And I'm not sure ex if exactly those are the terms, but there's, there's a, a notion of, uh, you know, life is unfair, were the words you used. And so I'm curious, because I'm sure that as a successful executive and entrepreneur, that people see you, women see you also as a role model for women. Would you describe yourself first as a self-made person or a self-made woman? I've not been asked that question before. Um, and I think I would just, so I'm going to punt on this question. I'll admit I'll punt on this. Um, I, I identify strongly as a woman and advocate for women. And I have two daughters. And I'm happy to see so, you know, so many women in the audience here. Um, I, also, uh, I also am a business person. Um, I've just never found it helpful to me or to anybody else um, to, um, to whine about things. <laughs> um, so, so that's why I say, you know, I don't think life is fair for anybody necessarily. And, it, and, and that's just, things are going to happen. And, and words, it, earlier when you were asked, the audience was asked for their, their one word, there were things like, you know, resilience was, was one of the words. I mean, you just have to deal with it and move on. And there's all sorts of fancy motivational posters that saying life isn't about not having any storms, it's about how you stand up in the storm and navigating your, sails, your sailboat and all of that. And so that, that really is my, is my philosophy. So in the, in the notion of sort of coming up, stealth mode coming up from behind, <laughs> Or, or not being, you know, open, uh, not open in that sense, but um, is, is being a woman part of that because it, business is still primarily a man's game? Is that also part of, you know, they don't expect it from a, they wouldn't expect it from a woman. Is that an advantage? It's got to be turned to an advantage. I don't, um, I don't think about being a, a woman in business or a woman CEO today very often. The, thing, the times I think about it are when I'm thinking about myself as a, as a CEO of a portfolio company. There are very few female partners in the venture capital world. And, and you all probably have seen you know, the, the lawsuits coming out of Silicon Valley with some of the big name VC yeah. private equity firms. Um, at Excel KKR, there's five female-led companies in their portfolio. So although they are all guys, yep. <laughs> they strongly, you know what, they support good leaders and good companies with a good business plan. And, and that really is, is my philosophy today. Probably 20 companies. Yeah. Which is a relatively high percentage in, <laughs> the, in the private equity world. Yeah. And I did a survey once of the general partners in Boston area. Three out of a hundred were were women. Mm -hmm. That's about five or six years ago. General partner. 
Uh, you see an absence. As you've grown as a company, um, that kind of puts the puts you in the spotlight and has um, many of the nonprofits and other community members reaching out to you asking for support or help or joining a board. How do you measure uh, and balance what your successes as a business or how do you relate that back to the community where you're from? Yeah, I say no to everything right now. I say no to almost everything right now. I'm here this morning uh, because Andy asked me <laughs> to be here. Um, Andy Nunnemaker, who was, was one of your former speakers. Um, I say no to almost everything because right now it's, it's most important for me and our leadership team. And, and don't make any mistake, you, you talked, Dan, about you know, doing it yourself. Nobody does anything themselves. And throughout my career, I've learned from my, my bosses. I've learned from people that have reported to me. I've learned from people that have worked with me. Um, I've learned from people in, in the community. Um, but I, um, I think that, that um, it's, it's absolutely critical that you don't do it yourself. But right now we've got 1,300 families around the world that are depending on us to run and grow a really great company. And that's my primary job right now. So I honestly would be over, over committing and under delivering if I was sitting on any, on any outside boards today. So. No, I, I don't have any. I honestly don't, because I don't. I don't think about it as life not being fair. It's just every day there's something you have to handle. And part of what I take away is that don't don't complain. You have to take things into your own hands. Maybe yeah. it's as a team. Yeah, I, you know, I can tell you that in the early days. Um, when I was on the Greater Milwaukee Committee, when I was a, a local CEO here, Roger Fitzsimmons and Tom Hefty were, were the you know, kind of icons in the CEO community in, in Milwaukee who were so generous with their time and mentorship. And whenever I walked into a room at any kind of a fundraiser at a GMC meeting, they made sure I was brought into the conversation. Um, so, so those are the kinds of things that I would note very positively rather and, and give credit for and be grateful for um, rather, rather than you know, any kind of the normal stuff that you hear that still goes on. I'm Lauren Hi, Lauren. Well, we always had a board. After the first year of the company, we had a board of directors, a formal board of directors. So I think, um, I think it's really important to have a, a board of advisors, if not a formal board of directors. And I would run that board of advisors much like you would run a board of, of directors. What, what was it that led you? Did, was that experience or? I, um, because most companies that young really don't have either advisors or real directors. And what did you say, think big to get big? I was going to say it if yeah. you say it. <laughs> yeah, think big to get big. The objective was to be big. So if we're going to yeah. be big, you, you need, need a, a board of directors. Why not set it up now so that you're on the right Yeah, and I guess there's two things that are, that are important. It, it, so we talk about being big. It, it's never, it has never, and it is not today, important to me to be the biggest. 
it's not even being the best, I'd rather be the best than the biggest, but being the best isn't actually what we strive for either. We want to be the only ones who can do what we do for and with our clients. And, and we like to think about creating new categories or moving into adjacencies before anybody, anybody else does. So, so I want to downplay big a little bit because big for the sake of big will get you into trouble. Um, and it's not true to our culture. Our culture is about pa being passionate about our customers and we stay up at night so they don't, they don't have to. Um, the other thing I want to address is, is there's been a lot about, about women. I mean, there, there is a dearth of people of color um, in, in entrepreneurship around the country, much less here in, in Milwaukee. And so when I think about diversity, I think, ab I think about that a lot. And I think about women in technology and how hostile some of those environments have, have been objectively studied yeah. to be for women. And, and part of why I say to my daughters, life isn't fair, get over it, is so that they they just get that it's going to be like that if they are in a male-dominated field. And I have all math science geeks as kids. So there'll be women in engineering, and, and it will be like that. One's at Stanford? Yes. That, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so there's 20, you know, 20 percent of her classmates are female. And that's probably a pretty high number, um, in, you know, as opposed to some of the other colleges. Yes. It's, it's grow it may not be getting huge, but it certainly is growing very nicely, yes. Do you find yourself in the fact that you've got success under your belt, spending more time on put on the gas, put on the trade than you are now? I like to say we have a small rear view mirror and we put our pedal to the metal. So we learn from our mistakes, but we don't dwell on them too long. Um, and we focus externally. If we, you can't focus internally and externally at the same time. And when you're focused internally, you're not focusing on your customers. And without customers, without great customers and without great employees to service those customers, nothing else will happen. Mark? Mark Bader. Um, first of all, thank you for growing, developing, and keeping your business experience. You're welcome. Um, Question I have is, how tightly are your HR and marketing people working? Uh, you know, culture is internal, but branding that employer culture and employer brand, it's both internal and external as you try to right. find the right kind of people that match up with that. Right. We, um we do that work for our, for our customers. So we have a small group within our, well, a small but growing group within our company that's based here in the US and in London that does the employer value proposition and employer branding work. Um, but we had never done it for ourselves. And we're in the process of doing that now. And I'm not sure when that will be unveiled, but probably as we upgrade our website, Bethany? June. So in June, watch for some new stuff to come out on, uh, on the CLO website. Bethany, what have we missed? Um, what have we missed? <laughs> what have we missed, Yeah, what have we missed? Um, I think that one of the things we, within the organization, uh, learn the most from Sue is um, 
it's a really cliche term, but service leadership. So I think there's the, you all do it together and you're in the team and we definitely have that culture, but I'm sure Anne can attest from the rest of us that there's something about having that strong leadership. And it's across the team, it's not just Sue, it's, it's our executive team in general. It's the respect we have for the board members um, that really helps guide our day-to-day -day work as individuals within the organization. Let me, let me end with a sort of different kind of question. I'm, I'm an outsider and I'm struck by the number of human resource related companies that there are in this region. Mm -hmm. is, is, it, is there something in the water here? You mentioned <laughs> your father was in that business as well. And that are big too. Yeah, well you know people, people around the country and around the world are like Milwaukee. <laughs> yeah. They know where Chicago is but they don't know where Milwaukee is. It's and in reality between Milwaukee and Chicago you've, you've got a great number, you've got great HR talent here because you have Manpower's Global Headquarters, you have Accenture, the old Anderson, right, Accenture. There were very, fr very strong franchise operations for a number of the large staffing companies here and a number of other startups in, in the city uh, between Chicago and Milwaukee. So it's a very rich community of HR professionals um, that, we, that we can tap from, and that's one of the reasons we can keep the business here. So uh, with that, I'm going to end. Uh, if you're lucky, you'll grab uh, Sue for a quick question, but I understand that you're extremely busy, and I, now we understand why. Um, but I think uh, I'd like to uh, all of us to join in a, a warm thank you for Sue for saying yes to this opportunity. Thank you. Thanks.